0: Hi, and welcome to the Inbold Company podcast. I'm your host, Christina Gonzalez Sander. If you're new here, welcome. The Inbold Company podcast hosts weekly conversations that encourage women of color and non binary people of color to thrive in their personal and professional lives. So, we're here to unpack how our cultural identities and upbringings impact our lives today because all of it is interrelated. I know. If you haven't come to that revelation yet, I'm here for you. If you've been listening to the podcast, thank you for being here again this week. I know we took a break last week, but man, that burnout is real right now in quarantine and I needed a break. So hopefully y'all are giving yourselves some rest, relaxation, some self-care. And today we're going to talk all about self-care in terms of pleasure and sexuality and sensuality with our guest Irma is the founder of dirty south sex ed and if y'all aren't following her on social media now you definitely need to Irma is a certified sex educator in Texas and a client services manager at Jane's due process where she helps Texas minors exercise their reproductive rights to an abortion Prior to joining the JDP team, she was an abortion counselor at a local Austin clinic, as well as a birth doula. And now, as the sexpert on staff, her focus is to connect the harm of sex-negative anti-abortion rhetoric into a wider sex-positive reproductive justice framework where marginalized people are shamed and robbed of their autonomy. She believes that when Black, Indigenous, and other people of color experience pleasure on their own terms, It's an act of protest, but most importantly, self care. And like I said earlier, you know, I hope you guys are giving yourself the time and the space, especially during this time, which I know people talk about constantly, but you need it. It's a weird time. Things are different and changing all the time. And, you know, for me, I think it's really hard to let go of. All the weirdness, and I'm trying to be less resistant. And so, if I needed a week off, I'm gonna give myself the week off on the podcast, which I did. So, we also took your questions on Instagram and also in an anonymous question submission form. And thank you so much for submitting your questions and what you're curious about. It was really fun to do because it gave Irma and I a way to navigate this conversation. There's so much that we go over in this episode, and it's really, really packed with information. So to make it easier, I made a PDF that you can download. You can find it at inboldcompany.com backslash sex, S-E-X-E-D-U. And this is going to have all of the resources that Irma talked about for your printing pleasure. And again, you can find it at inboldcompany.com backslash I'm going to link that in the show notes, but she gives a ton of resources at the end of this. And I thought it would be a lot easier if I just compiled it into one kind of like mini, mini, mini ebook for y'all to just download and have access to. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and share the podcast with a friend who you think would benefit from listening to it or just enjoy it. And as you know, we always start off with pulling an oracle card. And today's, I feel like, really resonates. And I know I say that again all the time. But if it resonates with you, let me know. And make sure you stick around until the end of the conversation because we have a little preview for next week's episode. So I'm really excited because I think maybe I had seen your account on Instagram somehow. And then I was talking to Jane And she was like, hey, Irma would be a really good person for you to have on the podcast. And I was like, oh, I already had her in mind. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That's great. How do y'all know each other? So Jane and I actually have an office together through like my full-time work stuff. But I've also been on the Boss Babes Committee. And yeah, so we do a lot of overlapping things. I'll be a mentor for their mentorship day coming up in June and we'll have like an opening conversation for that Mm -hmm. with a a past guest on the podcast. So we do a lot of things together. I feel like (laughs) work-wise. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. What about you?
1: I've just attended her boss babes events and I remember one event specifically where I actually got to meet her and that was an abortion education session that we had. And Mm. usually anything like sexuality or reproductive justice related I'm at either because of my role in my job or Mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious to see how other people like present stuff. But that one was being led by a friend of mine. So I got to meet her there.
0: And then from there I have been, seeing her around. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I feel like you just started your page, right? Not too long ago.
1: Correct. Yeah. I've been focusing on the sex stuff since this February through my social media platform, but I've been in the like game for maybe five years now.
0: Okay, cool. I mean, you just started this page in February. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, so like I said, people are loving it. I feel like you've blown up people really resonate with what you're putting out there
1: yeah and honestly it's still mind-boggling to me because i'm like essentially fairly new you know to the game mm-hmm. i don't consider myself as an expert just yet like i know my stuff but i have been working with so many sex educators and doctors and nurses in sexual health for a long time. And mm-hmm. they've also been in the game for a while. And some of them do have social media platforms. They are white, but because they've been in the game for so long, in my mind, I'm like, I don't understand why I'm blowing up. And like, they're the ones with like, even more information than I have. But I do understand that just having that cultural piece of being able to relate to folks Mm -hmm. does help where people can just feel a lot safer and feel like we can relate in certain things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like I said, I'm also shocked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it really, it's a testament to what people are interested in, right? And Mm -hmm. what people are curious about. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, you feel like other people have been in the game longer and have more expertise. I was just listening to this webinar and the girl that was doing the webinar, she was like, in all honesty, you don't even need to be an expert because if you're not an expert, you can be a little bit almost closer to your audience because you're both kind of exploring things at the same time. Mm -hmm. you know, like you could still be a resource from somebody and maybe not feel totally a hundred percent knowledgeable in what content you're giving out. But it's the important thing. The important thing is the intention and like what you can help do for them, right? Like that transformation. And I remember when I saw your page, I was like, Oh yeah, I have to talk to her because this is even something that I'm uncomfortable talking about <laughs> if I'm being super honest. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. I never thought that I would have a conversation like this about sex education and typically when you host a podcast, interview at least and for me, a little bit of my life comes forward through the podcast. So yeah, you know, it's just a uh, sex is a personal thing that I don't think a lot of people really know about generally speaking.
1: Exactly. And if they do, it's a hush-hush topic that you don't talk about. There's a lot of shame around it, a lot of repression. So, which we're probably going to get into later, and that is essentially the issue. Because of all of those negative feelings surrounding sexuality and all of the stigma that comes along with it, you have such an important topic that is not being talked about and it's doing more harm than good because sexuality is a part of who we are. It's Mm -hmm. what constitutes as us being a human being. You are a sexual person from the day you are born to the day you die. There is no way around it. As much as you want to repress it, as much as you don't want to talk about it, it's just in your DNA. It's who you Mm -hmm. are. And it's definitely a conversation that a lot of people don't want to have or are scared of having, but a very necessary one.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Well, before we kind of dive into everything, what I typically like to do is pull an Oracle card. So if people have listened to my podcast a lot, they know that I do this every single time. And I'm just going to start shuffling, Mm -hmm. and then I'll pick the card off the top whenever you tell me to. Stop. (laughs) Um, Stop. Cool. So this card says share, which is interesting. (laughs) I just love being able to pull an Oracle card beforehand because I've never once looked at one and thought, this doesn't resonate. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? And so... The card says, share your unique gifts, no matter how seemingly unimportant they may look to you. When you share your gifts in an authentic energy, the whole fabric of the earth's frequency is changed and major abundance and blessings will appear in exchange.
1: Well then. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That's really good. I know. It's all of that always like. Shocks me because I'm like, how did you know? Yes. (laughs) We're about to share a
0: lot right now. (laughs) We're going to share so many things. And also, all these people that sent in their questions also shared a lot. And I'm happy that I thought about doing the anonymous submission because I was thinking, oh, shit. What if somebody has a question, but they don't really want me to know specifically, you know, who they are? Mm -hmm. And even just being curious enough to send in your question. I think, is is showing a little bit of vulnerability. Oh, absolutely. You know? So, well, I know we talked about it a little bit that you've kind of been in the game around sexual well-being and education. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you got started in this or, like, what piqued your interest?
1: Yeah. So we'll probably talk about my childhood later on. but. From growing up, I was always connected with my sexuality, regardless of the conservative religious nature that I was surrounded with. Mm -hmm. So I always knew that I did not want to die a virgin. (laughs) 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 My family was or is evangelical. I am not, but Mm -hmm. essentially the message was no sex before marriage, like many other religions and oh and the teaching of God will Jesus is going to come in the rapture at some point if you don't die before so my my wish was like God if you come do not come before me losing my virginity
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, I need this to happen
1: yes like I know this is a funny request but let me at least like have this experience before you decide to like make the rapture happen or if I die don't let me die virgin so from that aspect of like yeah I grew up religious and believed a lot of things but Mm -hmm. no matter what I was connected to my sexuality in a way and I knew that it was wrong and so I always felt guilty and I always prayed for forgiveness and would ask for so many things okay like I won't Masturbate for a month if you make this happen, or something like that, you know? Yeah. So that is essentially like where the thoughts at least began. And then Mm -hmm. going off to college from a poor family and under resourced neighborhood and being the first gen to go to college, I didn't have language to put to what I was feeling. I didn't know what I was feeling. I didn't like the sexism or the misogynistic culture that I grew up in. I didn't like any mm. of that. I always fought it, but I didn't have the language of, I didn't have that feminism language to mm-hmm. apply it, you know? So yeah. I, I went to college and essentially like, that's like my testament to how reading and information is power because getting the education of having minor in women's and gender studies I was able to label everything. I was like, oh my God, like this is what I feel, and this is the environment that I grew up in. Like being able to read so many feminist texts from Black feminists that range from Audre Lorde to Bell Hooks to Asian feminists and other feminists that, like, similarly grew up in a similar environment. Mm hmm because of course we are in a patriarchal society.
0: Right. And it it's was hard. probably easier for you to kind of connect the dots after you were able to like leave where you grew up too, right? Exactly. Like just to
1: go to college, I had to fight because I am from Houston, born and raised, and I went to UT Austin. So Uh, a quote-unquote young lady didn't leave her family if she wanted to go to college she would go in her hometown and like still live at home so like that was the messaging that I was getting and so I was told if you want to go to Austin well then you have to get a scholarship we're not going to help with housing or anything and so I prayed I was like god (laughs) (laughs) please please give me this scholarship because I'm trying to get out of here so yeah Thankfully, I did get that scholarship and was able to go to UT in Austin, and I left. And a lot of people have this thing in their mind that people who come from very conservative or religious backgrounds, once they leave their household, they go crazy Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) when they're out. I didn't necessarily go crazy, but I was so ready to just experience the world, and I wasn't really scared about too much. I didn't know in my mind that like, okay, I just cannot get pregnant. And like, if I have (laughs) like, I just have to make sure that I use a condom or something. But I was ready to like experience the world. And with having this information more readily available and meeting people from all walks of life and backgrounds, and just being dropped into a different place, That was not my hometown. Like I just felt that I had the world at my fingertips. I could learn about so many things. I can experience so many things. And that is where I began reading everything, learning about sexuality and all of that. And essentially, it created the person that I am now. And after uh, maybe a year or two in college, I started with my journalism track, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know what I wanted to do with that then that is when i decided to okay i will probably be a feminist writer after this cuz this is what i'm interested in and somehow like after college after a few internships my first job was being a counselor at austin women's health center which is a local abortion clinic oh and okay that is where everything just went downhill into a sinful world into a sinful world
0: <laughs> <It was> like <laughs> Um, What do
1: you mean? Once my family found out and everyone found out that like- That you were
0: working at an abortion clinic.
1: Yes. I was just, I was a lost soul, but it was downhill for them, but uphill for me because I was able to start my certification process to become a birth doula and a sex educator and that was five years ago. And so mm-hmm. as of last November, this past November, I am finally done with the sex education. And I am here now.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Well, wow. What was that like with your family when they found out? I mean, are they okay with it now that you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I Now, it's been a few years at
1: this point. It's Mm -hmm. more so of a topic that we just don't bring up anymore because Mm. we're just going to keep going back and forth about how we just agree to disagree because I know my passion and I know my calling at this point and I am not going to change that for anything. And it's something that at this point they just need to understand or just live with because One part of going through a healing journey is knowing that you don't live your life for anyone else. And that even though we love and respect our family and our parents and caregivers, it's important to understand that we also don't live to make them happy. We have to live our truth. And this is mine. And even though they are not happy with it, I'm still here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's super true. I mean, you have to, as a human being, you're never going to be fully happy if you're living for other people anyway. Mm-hmm. It just causes you more anxiety, more stress, trying to please people. And so I would love to kind of backtrack because I know that your fam- when your family found out that you were working at an abortion clinic, you said that that's when things went downhill for them and they considered you a, a lost soul. Mm-hmm. So like, what was growing up like? Like, did they ever talk about sex or was it mostly just like, don't do it, don't have sex?
1: (laughs) I grew up with a traditional mom and dad. They weren't bad people, but they were every bit of what you would expect from people born in a Latin country where women do it all and are slut shamed. So it was a combo of different realities.
0: Mm -hmm. And where are they from?
1: So I, my stepdad is from Mexico. Mm. And being from conservative Latin countries and also being religious, evangelical, and being a poor family in an under-resourced neighborhood, that is something that I bring from my context when it comes to how I relay information about sex ed. Mm-hmm. I was more influenced by patriarchy and hyper-masculinity because of where I lived and who I grew up with. And that caused more abuse, more violence, more adversity. And it's important for folks to remember that women and girls who are raised in the hood, like they are deprived a lot more from protection and they experience more abuse, violence, and adversity than those who don't grow up in those specific environments. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. So that is essentially like, what I like to talk about a lot in the way that I teach sex ed, because patriarchy and sexuality impacts us way differently.
0: Okay. Could you elaborate a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So like like I was saying about the abuse, the violence, the adversity, the deprivation of protection, all of that, we get slut shamed from all angles, from being called a fast-tell little girl, a Jezebel, to being hypersexualized in mm-hmm. the outside world, because women of color tend to be hypersexualized by white society, and then we still get sexually shamed in our communities for mm-hmm. being more in tune with our sexuality. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so, yeah, growing up was basically like women did it all, and if they were any bit away from being the traditional mom or being the traditional woman of cooking and if you went to school you just went to school and came back home type of thing Um, Mm -hmm. that's when you were sled shamed Um, especially those who had kids out of wedlock or by simply being around too many boys sometimes (laughs) I know I remember getting in trouble for just talking to a boy and my stepdad saw me and he was like who was that Like, it's just my friends. And then (laughs) perception is everything in our community. If someone sees you with a boy, that boy may be your lab partner and you are discussing science. But if they see you from the outside looking in, you're basically headed down the
0: wrong path in their minds. (laughs) Mm. Well, I think women especially – kind of walk a very fine line right between like getting called a slut for example and then being like too prude right mm-hmm. you kind of have to there's a, like a, a balance and you see that in tv in movies in media in culture but
1: mm-hmm. then at the
0: same time women are incredibly sexualized in those same platforms And it can be really confusing, right? They're like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're showing your body, so you're a slut. Or like, ooh, you're super sexual. Or, you know, whatever words people want to use. But then if they're doing something similar that's or something that's the opposite, right, they can be called a prude. I don't know. You know, like I feel like women really, there's just always a fine line between the two things that they can be. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a without people exploring. Yeah. Absolutely. No, definitely.
1: In the context that I'm talking about, I come from a working class community and it's naturally a semi segregated environment. Mm-hmm. And that plays a huge role in the way patriarchal narratives are embraced. Because our communities are very concerned with respectability politics. And because of white patriarchal messaging about respect being reserved for those who are law abiding, religious and somewhat conservative, then you essentially get told that like, if you're not a respectable young lady, whatever that may mean in your community, Mm -hmm. then you are going to get slut shamed. You are going to get perceived a certain way and, I would like to always add that that does something to everyone's mental health, mm-hmm. that those are subtle shame cues that we internalize. Those are subtle ways of us essentially learning that we have to repress our sexuality and that we have to act a certain way in order to be respectable. Because who doesn't want to be liked, right? And respectability politics essentially is that. like, In order for you to be liked, you have to do these things. And of course, we all want to be liked. That's just part of being human. Unfortunately, we all have to learn at some point that not everyone is going to like us. And it's hard, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I want my family to like me. I know they love me, but they don't like what I do. And I wish they did. Like, I wish they would see the value in it, but unfortunately they don't. But there are other people in my life who do see the value in it. So I'm leaning on that versus... The opposite. So, we are fighting basically a white supremacist patriarchy out here and then toxic like masculinity in here with our family and our community. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, too, that I feel like a lot of like women of color come from families that are religious. I think that is like religion plays a huge part in our upbringing and our growth. I mean, my family is Filipino and they are Catholic. Mm -hmm. right? And I'm first generation and my mom moved from the Philippines to the United States when she was six, but Mm -hmm. my parents had me when they were 19. So for me, you know, the messaging that I always got was just basically do not get pregnant. You're going to school. Mm -hmm. So if my mom's listening to this, I think she would agree. Sorry. Um, (laughs) But it's true. You know, like I always knew that if I was going to be successful, I was like, you cannot get pregnant and you are going to school. And that was pretty much, I feel like our sex talk. It was like, if you are going to have sex, be really safe because you can't get pregnant because you need to go to school. (laughs) And so like, that was um, a big part of my childhood and growing up. And I don't know, those, you know, those things really stick with you for a long time. I mean, if I'm being honest, I also cried, I think, when I lost my virginity. And when I say I think, I mean, I know I did. (laughs) (laughs) I remember just crying because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get pregnant. But anything that happens when you're growing up, your childhood, the things that your family tell you or teach you, anything, all of that will affect you as you get older. and. That's why I think it's really important that people are able to power themselves with knowledge and other information to help them mm-hmm. because if you don't know it causes this like weird friction in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned earlier that before you went to college you didn't really have the words to connect the dots about how you were feeling and what you were thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's important to have these conversations and a lot of people are following you now on Instagram and like looking toward what you're doing because they're interested. They haven't seen anything really like this before, especially for our community. And is there something that you wish women of color were taught early on when it comes to sexual education and pleasure and sexuality? Oh, so much, right? <laughs>
1: I don't know. So I think that. In order to answer that question, I have to like back up for like one minute and totally. talk about how the sex talks that we get and how essentially they're like basically like what your mom told you, like half warning and half pejorative. They're meant to be protective, but unfortunately, they are also oppressive. And even though they're well, like our families have good intentions because they mm-hmm. want to protect us, it's a flawed response. To trying to protect us because then that is when you are not able to create the language and create the important defense mechanisms against sexual violence. You don't even have to be sexually precocious to be slut shamed, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Like, you don't even have to be half naked to be raped. You don't even have to be, I know you don't have to have already gone through puberty in order to be abused. All of those things are important to remember that it's always never, of course, the victim's fault. But the way that we are raised with the language that we hear and what we are told is essentially what we are going to have to unlearn later on and understand that that was just social conditioning, supposedly meant to protect us. But like I said, it's actually oppressive. So these, with women of color, like I'm talking to, I'm using them as my audience and my community because those are the particular experiences with which I am most familiar with Mm -hmm. and who I am most in community with. And I have seen how the connection between tuning into what brings aliveness into our systems and being able to access power from personal, relational to communal, like I have seen how denying our full complex selves impacts the way we show up in the world and with ourselves. And I'm sure we can all attest to that because of our own personal lived experience. You can attest to how the difference between feeling pleasure and the way that and before you started feeling pleasure, like how your mental health, like in your view of your own body and your own self changed. And I wish now to the answer (laughs) For your question, I wish that we all knew that we deserve and need pleasure to live a full, Mm. enriched life, especially for those who are impacted most by oppression. Pleasure is a natural and safe and liberated part of life, and we can offer each other the tools and education to make sex, desire, and connection all of that safe and life enriching because of the way we live our lives in the world essentially, like we are struggling out there. And so to be able to have this little piece to ourselves of pleasure, the difference that makes for our life, you know, our aliveness. And as a community, we are able to generate that together. We are able to generate pleasure by just being able to talk about it, you know?
0: Yeah, that'd be f- the first step, right? <laughs> exactly. Just feeling okay you-
1: talking about it. Exactly. Because then that is when it leads to learning what brings you pleasure and learning that you're not alone. Like being able to talk to a friend about it simply is just like, oh, hey, I like that too, girl. Or knowing that everyone's desires are a little different. All of that leads to liberation and justice.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, one of the questions somebody asked was, why is masturbation deemed normal and natural for men, but shameful and weird for women? Do you want to
1: answer that? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. So like the rest of the conversation we were talking about, there's already a lot of guilt and shame built around sexuality in general. So masturbation is, is seen as this other, you know, this other category that it's not sex. Anything that is not male, female, penis and vagina, partnered sex, it's just always othered. So first and foremost, we have to understand that masturbation is normal. And it is absolutely important for self-care in order to be able to know what we like in sexuality, we have to be able to explore our own body. And like I said earlier, human sexuality is a natural way of life. It's natural and you are a sexual being from the day you were born to the day you die. Human sexuality is a spectrum of behavior, all of which is perfectly normal including masturbation because it plays an important role in healthy sexual development. Research on masturbation has indicated that it's linked to sexual health. It is used in sex therapy as a way to improve individual sexual health and or in a relationship.
0: Oh, interesting. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. So
1: being able to, like I said, explore your own body, you Mm -hmm. end up learning what you like what you dislike, what turns you on, what makes you tick basically, you know, Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: and then being able to then communicate that to whoever you're having sex with or engaging in uh, sexuality with is going to be a lot easier because you know, there are still a lot of nuts and bolts to that. Like communication is in and of itself, another issue that we have to work on because, It's a different piece. Like if you come from a background where if you come from a history of trauma and or emotionally absent or abusive parents or caregivers, it's going to be a lot harder to Mm -hmm. communicate, even if you know what you like or dislike, because maybe you've learned or internalized that pleasing everyone is the best way in order to avoid conflict And if the person you're having sex with is enjoying a certain position or whatever, you don't want to not please them and you don't want them to get upset. So you're just going to stick to whatever is happening, even if that's not what you like. So saying yes and saying no is already in and of itself a hard thing to do for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. But with masturbation... You're doing it by yourself so you don't have to worry about anyone else. You're just giving yourself all this pleasure, and you're also learning about your body, learning what you like, and experiencing a wonderful feeling. It's the safest way to have sex, essentially. And you're also getting a host of benefits from reduced stress, you're releasing tension, your sleep quality is going to improve, your mood is going to elevate. And once Your sexual journey is more like you're more into your journey, you're going to be able to have improved partnered sex.
0: Well, it is, I agree with you. Part of it is also communication, which I think is already really hard. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people have to work on their communication, everybody does. It's probably one of the hardest pieces to unlearn, right? If you don't know how to communicate well, then you can never really get your point across, or people might not be able to understand what you're talking about, and that comes into play with sex. Also, I don't know if you've watched. There's a show on Netflix right now called Normal People. Have you seen that? No, I haven't, but I've been hearing good things. <laughs> it's so good. It's really funny because I Facetimed to my cousin today, and we were just talking about it. But I've had a couple of friends that I've also watched it, and you know, we're all texting or whatever as as they're going through. And this is a spoiler, so if people don't want to like <laughs> watch it, I'm so sorry. So, basically, in the show, and I feel like this might be a good example to kind of get people thinking about communication and putting it into a little bit into context if it's hard for them. So, one of the main characters, her name's Marianne, and she comes from a family where the the father was abusive, mm-hmm. and her brother is also in the beginning, he's verbally abusive, and through the show's trajectory you watch her start dating men that she is doing things for them to please them because she feels like that's what she wants and she wants to avoid conflict with them. Mm -hmm. So I've had a couple of friends text me at that part in the show where like things shift and they're like, what the hell is going on? And I was like, well, did you guys, you know, if you notice earlier in, in the show, she's saying these things like this comes up in just normal conversation. Like, is that what you want? I'll do whatever you want. You know, that that's kind of like her communication style with her partners early on. And you can tell that she learned that from when she was younger and trying to like avoid her brother, who was a male figure in her life, how she watched that from her mom. And so I think when it comes to, sexuality and sex and masturbation, there is all these different aspects that come up in the bedroom, whether you're alone or with a partner. Mm -hmm. And it's all of that you have to heal and it's all interconnected. But I just thought that I would point that out because I think a lot of people are watching that show right now. And I think that that's a perfect example of how the things that you learn as you're younger do affect your life in every aspect, including sex. Absolutely.
1: That's perfect. That's a great way to contextualize what we're talking about. Because yeah, I can say all of these like studies have shown that masturbation is integral to normal sexual development, blah, blah, blah. But being able to contextualize it and say like, this is what is happening. And like, the reasons that we feel this way is because of the way we were raised or so and so is how it makes things click. I want to just add is that exploring your sexuality before you experience partnered sexual activity, that is what's going to help you navigate that encounter in a less shaming and more pleasure-based way. But it's also important to remember that if masturbation isn't your thing, that's okay too. And if you get pleasure by giving others pleasure, that's also a thing too. Everyone is different. Everyone experiences pleasure different. Everyone's desires are different. So just to not leave anybody's experience or reality out from this conversation, I just wanted to add that.
0: Yes, definitely agree with that. I was like, everyone remember that what I said was in context to that show. If you have watched it, then you will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I was like, don't forget in Mm -hmm. context, everybody. Big thank you to Boss Babes ATX for sponsoring season one of the InBold Company podcast. So you guys, I love this nonprofit so much because they have been so supportive of InBold Company since the very, very beginning and especially with producing this podcast So not only have they supported me, but each year they educate and connect 1,500-plus emerging women and non-binary creatives, entrepreneurs, and leaders through their different programs with 20,000-plus community members per year attending their programs. I mean, honestly, that's like a mouthful for me to say, but they do such a great job. And we all know that being an entrepreneur, creative, human trying to do things is super hard without access to resources and community. In May 2020, Boss Babes ATX will be introducing their first ever membership. So this is for women and non-binary leaders seeking personal and professional development. The membership tiers will be anywhere from $5 to $50 a month, and it will include access to Boss Babes ATX personal resource guides to intimate networking, and trainings with other thought leaders and mentors in the community. So to learn more about Boss Babes ATX programs and their memberships, head to bossbabes.org and you can use the code INBOLD2020 for 10% off anything in their shop, their membership when it launches, and all ticketed Boss Babes ATX events for 2020. You can support them while supporting us. Thank you so much, Boss Babes ATX. Well, okay. So I know we talked a little bit also about like sexual shame and healing. Mm -hmm. Do you have any specific pieces of advice or resources for women of color who are healing from sexual shame?
1: Mm -hmm. So the first and
0: foremost thing is always
1: take your time. Our society is moving forward in a way that like, yes, like in maybe the next 50 years or so, I truly do believe that like sexuality is going to be less taboo than it is now, but in no way let media or anybody like rush your healing. Um, So yeah, take your time because feeling shame is predictable in the process of healing when sexuality. It's going to come up sooner or later or in the middle or during the time that you're masturbating or after, you know, but always remembering and going back with compassion to yourself and knowing that what you are feeling is social conditioning. But essentially, we should all be able to ask for what we want and just to reinforce what I said earlier that can look different for folks with a history of trauma, being able to say yes to what we know and what we want, being able to say no to what we know and what we don't want, understand each other's desires. We can develop all of that by practicing over and over and over. Like It is not something that you're going to learn tonight, tomorrow, in one week. You're also going to be uncomfortable But that's also going to help you be honest. Also, only if you are in a context of a healthy relationship with whoever you are planning on having sex with, or if you're already having sex with someone, like if that's a shame free, judgment free zone, then yes, it's going to be a lot easier to be honest if you're uncomfortable versus. I understand that there are other relationships or arrangements where that may not be possible. Mm -hmm. But also by being able to take risks by saying no and saying yes. I keep going back to that saying no and saying yes piece because those are the first words that will help someone's communication journey. Before being able to put language to the specific desires, Mm -hmm. just simply knowing what your yes is, what your maybe is, and what your no is, is important. And I like that. I
0: feel like that's a good first step, like a baby step.
1: Exactly. And I would add a resource. It's called the Yes, Maybe, No List. And you can find a million of them online. But essentially, that is what sex educators use. It's a big list that compiles all of these different sexual positions desires all of that and it's pretty long and you start by basically going down the list and writing next to it if you would be down for that or not or maybe
0: oh you know. so wait so someone could like print this out
1: exactly and I always give it to all of my students in whatever sex ed sessions I'm doing
0: <laughs> oh that's great. yeah, no, I'm gonna link that into the show notes. I've yes. never heard of that before,
1: yeah, they are so helpful to be able, like you said, to start with that baby step. And to end that list is just by remembering that our repression and shame was social conditioning, but essentially, it all comes down to just simply being good to your body. If masturbation is not the first thing you want to do, whatever gives you pleasure is where you will start. For example, if eating a cupcake is what makes you feel good, eat that cupcake. (laughs) And and then little by little, like the things that make you feel good, you're going to want to feel good more often, and you'll be a little more comfortable to explore your body. And if you still don't want to get to the masturbation part, just looking at yourself naked in the mirror, start there. If you want to be able to know where to touch yourself, you'll have to look at your genitals at some point, look at your vulva, and then open your labia majora in order to see your clitoral hood. And if you've never had a sex toy, but you don't want to invest in something elaborate, starting off with maybe a bullet or a dual tip vibrator to be able to experience the vibration sensations if you don't feel comfortable using your fingers, you know, sometimes a lot mm-hmm. of sometimes people want a barrier between their hands and their genitals. And that is where sex toys come in. And being able to destigmatize sex toys to understand that they are so helpful and they are a natural part of human sexuality experimentation as well is important.
0: Ooh yeah. I like that. Okay. That's great advice. So like I said, we had a ton of questions. So I want to try to get through as many as possible, but some of them are going to be a little bit of a longer, it's not really a yes or no kind of question, but I want to start off with one that I think maybe people can resonate with since they are in quarantine right now. One person sent in a message that said, I'm stuck at home without my lover. Do you have any phone sex tips?
1: I will definitely send you a few links because I feel that that list is somewhat long, but always first and foremost, get consent because people can uh, screenshot or record you. But once the consent piece is laid out, if you are able to use video chat, FaceTiming sex dates are a thing where you both use different sex toys to be able to Masturbate. Um, there are also a lot of couple sex toys that I will send you links to, so that you can link it if you want. I will. Yeah. So <laughs> basically, what I love a couple of sex toys because one partner can control the vibrations and the sex toys being it's essentially hooked either on the panty or is like a clip where one part is inserted into the vagina and then the other part kind of lays on the vulva to touch the clitoral hood. And one partner can control it by using it for vibrations, you know,
0: Mm, like an app.
1: Exactly. So that's one way of being able to experience something as a couple or as, as partners, besides the FaceTime sex and laying out the consent part, being able to set the mood is super important. I think that making it appear like if both of you were in the same room can make it sexy if you want to put it that way mm-hmm. um so like dim the lights
0: ambiance
1: yes whatever makes you feel sexy or will turn you on set that mood even if you're alone lube is super important i always stress lube and partnered sex but even with sex toys lube is super important arousal oils are a thing so like If you need a little extra TLC to get you aroused, arousal oils help if you essentially rub it on your vulva, clit area, you'll start feeling some tingling in like a few minutes, 30 minutes maybe at the most. And that can like help get you started if you need a little TLC assistance. Mm, Mm -hmm. The sexting portion is something that I like to talk about. That shouldn't be reserved for only when you want to like masturbate or have sex. Kind of do it as a whole day thing where y'all start getting sexy during the day while y'all are working so that essentially later on after y'all finish, y'all are like so hyped up and like your hormones are, <laughs> and your hormones are raging or like just getting up there. And by the time that y'all get on FaceTime or you're able to use a sex toy, you're like, possibly going to
0: explode. <laughs> Delayed gratification. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, I love that. I feel like, I mean, I'm 100% going to link all of this in the show notes. And then we can talk about it later, like any of your like favorite brands or ones that people should look into. Mm-hmm. The last thing I wanted to add was for
1: those who don't have a partner, but still want to do something sexy, attending a virtual sex party, that's a thing and they are happening. And I will also send you another link to that. Like, if you were planning on maybe before quarantine, like, I want to have a cool sexual journey this year, and you want to attend a virtual sex party. That's a thing.
0: (laughs) I did not know that was a thing. All right. Yeah. We're going to link all of these things. <laughs> I was like, dang, I don't know what that is, but I will look at it also when you send it to me. Okay. I'm like 100% positive that I know people are interested in that from the questions that we I have received and the responses to this podcast episode. Okay. Another question that we had was, can you be overly sexual? Is that a thing? Can it be too much? No.
1: The times that hypersexualization occurs is usually like created by another being like, like another party and it's imposed on someone else. Like this person is super sexual when in reality, most of the time they're just being normal and, and engaging in their sexuality. There is a spectrum in regard mm-hmm. to desire where someone can be more to the right where their sexual desire is like more higher than those in the middle, which is average. And then there are folks who are asexual who have no sexual desire at all. So it's a spectrum. All of it is normal. And it's important to always like relay that back to human sexuality in general, that unfortunately only one, way of having sex has been seen as normal, but this is called the Keensley scale and you can look it up. And um this scale essentially is what also talks about one's sexuality in regards to like who they are attracted to. So mm-hmm. that also, it gives you a lot of information of like from your attraction to how you feel desire. Mm-hmm. And then Lastly, sex addiction has been something that has been put in society that is actually not a thing. It's possible to have a hypersexual life where like, it can impede your daily life activities. So once it gets to that point where like, you're mm-hmm. not even going to work because you're masturbating a lot or having sex a lot then that is when you want to look into boundaries, look into therapy and stuff. But it's not an addiction. It's just impeding your daily activity, your daily life. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. So on the other side of the spectrum, I had someone write in, I'm never horny and never masturbate. What's wrong with me? And I know that you already mentioned that there is nothing wrong with anybody that could be your normal, but I just wanted to have you speak on like the other side of the spectrum.
1: Mm -hmm. I remember you saying a little earlier that if you, that if masturbation is not your thing, that Mm -hmm. is okay. And if you don't get horny, that is also okay. Like I said, a lot of people are also asexual and that doesn't necessarily mean that you cannot be romantic with someone. It just means that you are not horny (laughs) and that you don't get horny. If you want to get horny, then we can definitely talk about that. And that is when a sex therapist or a sex educator comes in the mix. And we do a lot of talking about what brings you pleasure and all of that, or just help you navigate. And it's a journey, but essentially you're working with a professional to be able to navigate that. But if you don't really care, then that's also important to talk about and look within yourself if maybe you're asexual, where you just don't want to get horny and don't get horny, because that's a thing. And a lot of folks don't have that language to realize, oh, this is who I am, you know?
0: Mm, yes. No, definitely. And I think it probably also comes back to what you said earlier about. Like self exploration, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe you could try exploring and, you know, just being with yourself, with your body. And maybe you want to get more in tune with that. But that's really interesting. So, quick question for you in terms of when someone would go to a sex educator or a sex therapist. Would you recommend that they could go to you guys, not only if they're having like sex problems per se, but even if they're just interested in knowing more or educating themselves?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. Sex educators actually do a lot more therapy-based services than what a lot of people know about. There are a lot of therapists who focus and specialize on sexuality, but for the most part, those tend to come a diamond a dozen and it's hard to find one. So if you know a sex educator and are trying to navigate any sexual situations that are going on, talking to someone who specializes in whatever it is that you are looking into, for example, if you think that you may be asexual, I can recommend a lot of asexual sex educators who specialize in that. If you are a parent and want to talk about how to be a sex-positive parent, there are a lot of sex educators who offer those services and are able to, similarly to therapy sessions, talk to mm-hmm. parents about it. So sex educators do tend to do a lot of therapy-based services.
0: That's cool. hmm I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: Essentially, even your friends at the end of the day can become your your sex therapist if they are more knowledgeable, of course, in regards to sexuality and all of that. But I think that healing is in part based in community. Like you have to have a supportive, judgment- free community and being able to just talk about it with someone that you trust is like the first step. And so being able to talk to your friends and be like, hey, I like this and I just don't know what to do about it. And being able to have a friend there be like, oh, I read this awesome article that says that that's normal in the sense of that. And then that person then goes and feels shame-free to explore that even more. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh no, that's great. Sorry, I'm like writing down notes because- I definitely want to make sure that people remember this part of the conversation, because I think that that's really important. And another question that we have, which is, again, about like kind of sharing, you know, this theme of sharing. And this person wrote, why are STDs stigmatized in our society? They're so common, but a taboo topic.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> we can go on and on for that <laughs> one. Yeah, that's like a whole other
0: podcast episode, I feel like.
1: hmm And I will also send you a link to another sex educator who specializes in destigmatizing STIs. And I think that she would be great to be able to get even more information. But, like, just like what we were talking about earlier where respectability politics comes into play in our society, STIs are essentially seen as the consequence of someone being too sexual or dirty, all of that. And a few myths about STIs that are common, for example, that STIs are the result of poor decisions and immoral behavior. But Mm. what people should know is that one in two people will contract an STI before 25 And wow, (laughs) STIs are not dependent upon your character. They're an expected outcome of partnered sex. They're essentially what, like, if you go ride your bike, you can fall and you can scrape your knee. That is just reality. If you have sex, the reality is that there is a chance that you can get an STI. It's important to practice safe sex, but that's not going to guarantee 100% that you're never going to get an STI because even people who are super careful and everything have been able to contract an STI or get pregnant. It's not dependent upon their character, but that's just biology. That's just what happens.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, you could have sex one time and that could happen.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's important to also remember that Just because you don't have any symptoms doesn't mean that you don't have an STI. (laughs) So a lot of the folks who speak the loudest on that, it's kind of like, look inward. You may not have any symptoms, but for example, with men, HPV isn't detectable Mm. all the time, but Mm -hmm. they're the main carriers.
0: (laughs) Mm. Yes, you're right. I've seen many pamphlets about that literally since college. And I feel, you know what I mean? I feel like Mm -hmm. everyone always talks about HPV. At least when I would go to the gyno at Iowa, I felt like there was like always a sign and they were like, get your vaccine. And I was like, yes, duly noted. But that's a good thing to bring up because that's also true. If you are a guy and you have HPV, you might not even know that you even have HPV and you could still give it to somebody. Exactly. And... Okay, we have time for like, I would say like maybe like two more questions that aren't going to be like super crazy long. But I can also send these to you so that if you have other resources, maybe we can include them in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But this one says, every time my significant other and I attempted uh, vaginal intercourse, she was in major pain. There isn't much about this online. Either way, we have since found our own way of making love with lots of foreplay, masturbation, and oral sex. I just want other couples to know that it's still possible to have amazing sex, but we can't find any information about this. Is this a condition?
1: So there are several reasons that Mm -hmm. vaginal pain can be occurring. And essentially, you would have to speak with a doctor about it. And unfortunately, it's going to be a long journey of trial and error until the doctor is able to pinpoint what is causing it, because there are so many reasons. Mm. Um, The most common reason is vaginismus, and that's when any kind of penetration feels painful and impossible. So if penetrative sex hurts, or inserting a finger or a tampon, or having a pap smear or pelvic exam hurts, then... That is important to talk to your doctor about. and until the correct medication is prescribed, which yes, there is medication to help for this, be able to like feel a little better. But it's also a mental health situation where getting anxiety automatically makes your body um, mm. tighten. And with that tightening, it also tightens your pelvic. And from the fear that penetration will be painful, like all of that is what's going to cause that anxiety. And so that's going to cause the involuntary spasms of the pelvic floor muscles, which in turn will cause that pain for penetration. So Mm. it's half mental health and half physical symptoms that need to be addressed with a doctor. And there are some contributing factors to that. Some of them can be mm. endometriosis. The person could have a history of sexual assault. Even having the history of having a conservative moral education like we were talking about earlier can cause this. Mm. So yeah, there are several contributing. Lots of factors. layers. Yeah. A few treatment options besides obviously talking to your doctor are vaginal dilators and, lube and taking it slow. You want to be able to communicate with your partner if penetrative sex is what y'all want to get to because um, I do want to point out that penetrative sex is not the epitome of sex and it's not what defines sex. You can define sex however you want. So if foreplay is what brings you the most pleasure, if mutual masturbation is what brings you the most pleasure with your partner, like all of that is valid and all of that is considered sex. So yeah, so if you are trying to have penetrative sex, apart from vaginal dilators and therapy, physical and psychological, there are different treatments that a doctor can help with for that.
0: Okay. That actually answers somebody else's question as well. So I'm, I'm happy that we asked that. And yeah. like I said earlier, everyone, I'm going to link all of this in the show notes. And I Actually, think I'm going to make a little handout to make mm-hmm. it easier for y'all to navigate this. A so lot. There's a lot of information. Another person wrote in, how can I get out of my head during sex slash in general to relax and enjoy?
1: Oh, yeah. So besides the psychological therapy that I was talking about earlier, if what's happening in your head is – the biggest component that is preventing you from experiencing sexual pleasure, then that is where most of the work is going to have to happen. And that is when talking to a therapist is going to come in handy because anyone can tell you, oh, just masturbate. But you won't be able to masturbate if you're experiencing all of these internal blockages, such Mm -hmm. as shame, repression, or just feeling weird about it is like, yeah, all of that is normal, but masturbating is not going to be your first step. It's going to be therapy. And I do think that just remembering that pleasure is your right and it is self-care and it is necessary, is important to be able to begin reframing the messaging that was given to you growing up that all of that is shameful and uh, masturbation is bad or sex is bad. Like just you flipping the script in your mind is important as a good way to start.
0: And I just want to point out that because Emma said therapy, that doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you, but if something is blocking you, you know, it might be a, a different kind of conversation that you might have to have with yourself right like there might be a different reason why you can't just relax and enjoy and I think it's always easier when you can talk it out with somebody else even if it is a friend like you know what you said earlier about community and being able to have an open safe conversation I think that you could even start there Mm -hmm. if you know you have a friend that you feel like you can talk to about some of those things so if
1: you are trying to have partnered sex, but you're just getting into your head. So like what I said earlier, essentially just gets you to step one of exploring your body. But if you have a partner who you feel safe with, and is willing to help you, like first letting go of assumptions of like what sex is and like what pleasure is, because all of that is unique to you. And letting go of the end goal of orgasm, like people put so much pressure on orgasm that they miss so much pleasure along the way so like asking for like oh touch me here touch me there or stop that feels good or actually i don't like that let's try something else all of that is super important and that you don't have to do every single sexual position or any of that like you are able to start slow and then just recognizing your progress is going to be able to get you further and
0: further all of this advice is amazing i'm very excited I have two last questions, sorry, because I know that we are like a little bit over time and I don't want to keep you too long So it's the middle (laughs) of the day. Okay. One of them is, could you provide any resources for anyone healing after an abortion?
1: Oh, yes. So that's my jam (laughs) just because (laughs) I work in abortion a lot more, but there is a... Big website where you can read all of these different stories. So, basically, in the reproductive justice world, we talk about how mm-hmm. storytelling can be used as a healing tool mm-hmm. and how being able to talk to someone or hear other people's stories is important to be able to put language to what you're feeling and knowing that you're not alone. So I just remembered the website. Um, So if you go to saying abortion aloud, you will be able to read about other people's stories and we testify so we testify.org and saying abortion aloud those would be the two resources that i recommend to be able to start the journey of just understanding and knowing that you're not alone when it comes to feeling a certain type of way if you've had an abortion i don't want to stigmatize abortion either Statistics show that most people actually feel relief than any other type of emotion after an abortion. So feeling guilt or shame is actually not as common as feeling relief and being able to feel like you're getting your life back. But for that percentage of folks that do feel shame, sadness, all of that is completely normal, apart from pregnancy hormones that are releasing from one's body after an abortion that can definitely make those emotions louder to understanding and going back to your why you had an abortion in the first place. Going back Mm. to that why is going to remind you why you needed to do that and being able to move on from it. You may not move on from it ever, but being able to heal from it or just be okay with it.
0: Mm. No, I love that. I feel like with abortion, I think a lot of times people are might have an abortion in secret, and I think that it's important to still equip them with mm-hmm. like knowledge and resources. And maybe they don't even want to go to see a therapist, and I think that mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think finding other resources would be really helpful.
1: Exactly, and that is why just reading other people's stories is helpful because you don't have to talk to anyone. You just have mm-hmm. to. Be able to read, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. From the, the comfort uh, of your home. Yeah. It's just, all good. Being,
1: just being able to, like I was saying earlier, how community can be so healing because you get this feeling of not being alone.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I love that. Okay, last one. Sorry. I know again that we're over. Oh, but <laughs> I was like, oh, there's just so many. Mm-hmm. So one person asked. I haven't been able to open up with my mom about girly things like sex and boyfriends, but I see white girls do it on TV and in the movies. I feel like it's taboo, even though my mom's never specifically shut down that kind of talk. How do you recommend that I start those conversations with her? Now that I'm an adult, I'm curious about what her mid-20s were like, and I would like to feel like I'm not hiding huge chunks of myself from her. I'm not sure if it's a good idea or not to open up about this kind of stuff.
1: Oh, that's a great question. So remembering that it's awesome from what you're telling me that you don't feel that she would shut you down. So that's first and foremost. I wouldn't recommend just like going to your parent and just be like, hey, I'm having sex, which (laughs) can be revolutionary and radical in some cases, but not everyone is safe to do that, you know? And if you do feel safe that you can do that, Seriously, just having the conversation of putting everything out there is the most revolutionary, radical thing that you can do. And remembering that sex is normal and human sexuality is such a normal part of life that our own parents... Like, how did we get here? Our parents had sex. Mm -hmm. and. Some of us have heard our parents have sex, and that is part of destigmatizing sexuality, even in people that are of the older demographic. There is a whole sex ed category about talking about sexuality in people past fifty because a lot of people desexualize that demographic and don't realize that actually they're still having sex, and it's completely fine. So being able to open up that conversation of simply being, shame free about it in regards to, Hey, I am having sex. I'm curious to know how your sex life was. If you think that you will get shut down, well, then maybe just talking about like, what do you think are the safest methods to having sex? If that's a more clear path of being able to have a conversation with your parent, because mm-hmm. a lot of our parents like to be helpful in some type of way like they want to protect their kids and so being able to have that conversation of like okay so like how can you help me even though you probably already know but once you show them that you need them they're gonna open up and be like oh yes let me tell you this is what mm. you do and then be like, oh, okay yeah because I'm having sex <laughs>
0: yeah like cracking the door open mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I wish we had more time. I feel really bad for our, I mean, I can always send these questions to you. I was like, literally there's so many. I think some of them, I just want to point out that, like Irma said, sexuality and sensuality and sex, there is a spectrum. And I, I, from our conversation, and please tell me if you disagree, I feel like Everything is normal if that's how you're feeling about it mm-hmm. Like I don't think that anything is strange because i'm absolutely positive that somebody else out there feels the same way that you do about You know whether or not You feel horny or maybe you feel overly horny I think that there's other people in the world that are feeling that same way So I don't think that there's really true normal for anything based off of our conversations so far and I suggest that you guys get in touch with Irma. She has an amazing Instagram. She's posting tons of facts and knowledge. We're going to share everything in the show notes. And I'll probably break it down because there was a lot of information, I think. But just kind of wrap it up. I just want to ask you, do you have any like offerings or events or announcements or anything that you would like to share with the audience? So if folks
1: want to ask more questions, I will officially have my own column where people can ask anonymous questions. You would have to follow on Instagram, talk period taboo T a B as in boy you. And we are going to open up that portal soon. We're getting everything ready and you'll be notified when it's live. And have that access to ask anonymous questions anytime.
0: Amazing. Yeah,
1: I also know a lot of folks kind of feel awkward DMing questions, but that way having that anonymous feature is helpful for folks.
0: Ooh, love that. Yes, no, the anonymous poll that I took yesterday about whether or not they wanted a way to submit their question without anyone knowing who it was from, Mm -hmm. I think that was great a lot, we got more questions because of that. So I'm happy. Yeah. And then I guess I just want to end the conversation with, you know, are there any other women of color or non-binary people of color that you've been admiring or that you are inspired by right now? Yeah. So my
1: mentor slash Shiro in sex education is Melissa from sex positive families. And you can also find her on Instagram at sex positive underscore families, she's an amazing Afro Latina sex educator who specializes in sex positive parenting, and Ooh. she's also in Austin, Texas. So I've been able to, before quarantine, meet up with her and like just having that space to relate has been amazing. And she does amazing work when it comes to sex positive parenting and just everything sexuality in general, but that's what she specializes it. So for any parents out there or any folks who just are becoming their own parents, that's usually the first step when you're going through a healing journey. You have to reparent your own self, um, mm-hmm. your own <laughs> inner child. So when it comes to sexuality, following her for that is a great resource.
0: Oh, yeah. We love our inner child here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the inner child comes up a lot. <laughs> I know. too. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I am super excited. I can't wait to share all this information with everybody. I am excited for your column. I'll make sure whenever you release that, I'll update the show notes with that information so that people will have it whenever it's ready to go. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. I'm so, so excited. I know I've been saying that to you a lot, but I really am.
1: Oh, yay. (laughs) I'm so happy. I sometimes get like anxious as well, because I'm like, so new. And I'm like, I know, I know this information, but like doing a podcast. Wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like, seriously, you can tell that people really need this, you know, Mm -hmm. having another resource, being able to get connected with you in the work that you're doing, I think is really important because it's just so hard to talk about too, because there's so many layers, right? Like there's your religious background, your upbringing, your friends, your environment, like any sort of thing can affect anyone's view on sex, pleasure, sensuality. And it's hard to cover all the topics.
1: Oh, exactly.
0: (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many things.
1: Yeah. Like one hour is not enough for sure. But that is why I think that it's a constant journey, like like it's a journey. And Mm -hmm. if folks just have the tools to start with when it comes to just reparenting themselves and trying to unlearn the social conditioning that we learned about sex and masturbation and all of that, we will be able to do our own healing and our own, like we are all our own sex educators because we are just teaching ourselves what feels good to us by exploring our own bodies all that sex educators and sex therapists can do is just give you the tools on like getting you there to explore yourself.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so, so much. Have a great day. All right. Well, that was my episode with Irma. Thank you so much for listening all the way until the end. I hope you learned a lot from this episode. I know that I did. It's really fun. And this is why I like making the podcast to learn about new things and get other people's perspectives. And I really, really, really tried to answer as many of your questions as possible. I know we ran out of time. So if you didn't hear an answer to your question, please make sure that you go follow Irma on social media. I'll link her anonymous sex column to the show notes as well. Along with that info, you can download everything that she talked about. The yes, no, maybe so list and all of the other resources that she mentions right at the end for free at imboldcompanycom backslash sexedu. Again, that's imboldcompanycom backslash sexedu. Then you can download it and print it and I put everything in one PDF so that you have it and you don't have to go like Googling or whatever. I'm gonna make it really easy for you. So if you like the show, share it with a friend you think would like it too. You guys know I always say that. You can always find me on Instagram at Inbold company. Make sure you rate, subscribe, leave that review for me. It helps other people find us. And, you know, I know I like to make the intros and the outros quick and dirty. If I'm being honest, it's not typically my favorite part to record because it's just me talking to myself. Well, talking to you, but talking to myself. So, I don't know. Do you guys want to hear more from me? Curious about what your thoughts are on that. And next week's guest, we are going to have the lovely and very patient with technology, Riley Blanks, on the podcast. I say that because I had so many internet issues the day that we recorded this. But she was such a gem and very lovely and understanding (laughs) about the weird, terrible Google Fiber situation that was going on. Google Fiber, I'm calling you out. But Riley is the founder of Woke Beauty, and she actually just released her own podcast. And we're going to dive a little bit into that. We're going to dive into biracial identity and finding your people. So if you're still listening, the theme of the episode is share. So DM comment on the episode, post on Instagram, share how share resonates with you. Maybe you are sharing some of your wants, needs with your partner. Like we talked about communication. Maybe you are sharing some of the resources with a friend that you think might be interested. I don't know. Let me know. All right. Thanks so much until next week.